Hello and welcome to Learning More with the Corps, your community health corps podcast. My name is Keely Alverson and I am a current social work intern with Community Health Corps, East Texas's local mental health and IDD authority. And today I have the pleasure of speaking with Community Health Corps IDD crisis intervention specialist, Nick Wesson. Nick is an East Texas native, having been born and raised in Longview, Texas, and is also a Texas A&M Corpus Christi alumni after attaining his bachelor's in psychology. Nick has been with CHC for 16 years in multiple roles that have led him to his current position as IDD crisis specialist. So without further ado, please enjoy Mr. Nick Wesson. IDD crisis service specialist. Yes. Okay, not program manager. No, uh, they don't Is there a program manager? Kathleen's my... Oh, Kathleen's your program manager. Okay. Well, we just had her on. She didn't mention you. Yeah, well, you know, I just try to fly under the radar, so... Okay. So you weren't in IDD crisis services for the 16 years you've been with Community no. Health Corps? Uh, like I said, I started at Fredonia. Mm-hmm. I was there for five and a half years. I uh, went there right after college. Uh, first, quote-unquote, real job. Yeah. Uh, your big boy job. Yes. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it was a learning curve. Mm-hmm. Uh, working, substance abuse, mental health. And then February of 2012, I transferred to IDD uh, on the provider side where I was the QIDP for our ICF group homes. QIDP, Qualified? Intellectual Disability Professional. Okay, because not everybody's going to know the acronyms. (laughs) Uh, But yeah, so I was there again for another six years. And then in 2018, I transferred into uh, the role I'm in now. Okay. Did you think while in college or when you graduated you would be working with IDD individuals? Did you have any experience? No, no experience. It was really college. I had so many majors going through uh, and then realized a friend of mine is graduating the same time but he's coming out as a doctor and I'm still doing my undergrad. Probably time to get out of college. (laughs) So psychology was the first or the closest one to finishing uh-huh, with um, all your credits applied yeah and so uh, that ended up being my final three semesters was getting all that tied up okay so. I can relate to that I have seven years on and off for a bachelor's yeah. degree so I should have a doctorate <laughs> uh, and the, but for me unfortunately there was no on and off it was seven years straight straight of, just it was more of start a uh, major track, go through, start taking some courses, and then realize this isn't yeah. really what I want to do. Bounced around, so I guess you kind of a call me a renaissance man of ah. sorts because I'm not great at one thing. Mm-hmm. I'm above mediocre in a lot of things. So, how long have you been in IDD crisis services? Did you say uh, six years? October. Uh, I moved into that October 2018. Okay. Okay. So pre-COVID, uh, and then learning to adapt during COVID, mm. uh, because that really hampered a lot of what CI services could do. Because we're, you know, hands-on, face-to-face, yeah. a lot of trainings. Uh, the population, families that we're working with, you know, having to transition to more of a digital yeah. footprint, uh, televideo, stumbling blocks with that. Um, some families not having access to mm-hmm. internet or smartphones. Wi-Fi, all that uh, good stuff. Yeah, everything that's needed for that. So those were 
challenges that yeah. we had to try to find ways to overcome. We had some successes. We also had some failures as far as doing that, uh, not for the individual themselves, yeah. but just how to put you know the information out there. Right, wasn't the best approach. Well, and you learned from that. So, how did you adapt? I mean, it was just you know trial and error. Yeah, it would sit there. You know, we'd go. Maybe it was all right. Let's mail. PowerPoints, let's mail yeah. trainings to them, you know, hard copies, mm -hmm. and then getting on the phone and just trying to talk through. Mm -hmm. Again, it makes it a bit of a challenge, though, especially when we're talking de-escalation yeah. uh, for outbursts. There are certain things that you need to kind of be able to demonstrate yeah. that just giving verbal instruction mm -hmm. and not being able to even see what the other person is doing language. Uh, yeah. to provide critique and feedback on that so oh man I think I would pull my hair out <laughs> oh my god but, uh, so it it made it a wonderful time just like <laughs> COVID gave everybody a chance to learn all kinds of new talents and experiences so sure we'll call them that <laughs> <laughs> so we've interviewed who's we I've interviewed Jessica Cheshire who's mm -hmm. crisis services for uh, just behavioral health for community health corps. How does your program compare? I mean, obviously it's a different population. Different population and a little bit of a different uh, outcome mm -hmm. that we're trying to do. I'm more of a resource mm -hmm. program education where Jessica's program with MCOT, the mobile crisis outreach team, mm -hmm. they are actually handling it when a crisis is full blown. They're needing to identify if inpatient uh, right. placement is required. When I get involved, I'm trying to get in before we get to that point, before hospital. You're doing prevention. Doing a lot of prevention okay. or follow-up after we have had a crisis situation. Uh, her folks will you know, email me the screening, uh, whether or not the individual has been placed inpatient or if uh, you know they were referred back to the home mm -hmm. or the group home, a follow-up event, you know, at that point. Uh, if they've been in the hospital within 72 business hours, uh, I'm trying to get a meeting scheduled with their service coordinator, case manager, family and provider to kind of evaluate what happened. Yeah, uh, how do we avoid this next yes, time? Let's look at identifying triggers, triggers identifying systemic issues that yeah. lead to having those. Um, I love talking about systemic issues. <laughs> I'm a social worker. And with the IDD population, a lot of things are systemic issues. It's a lot of routine, yeah. a lot of thought processes that are stigmas that people hold on to yeah. and how they approach and handle the population. Mm -hmm. uh, sometimes it's, well, they just have the mindset of a child, so we're gonna treat them like a child. Mm. Where, yes, they might have the comprehension skills, of a child, but we're talking about an adult. They yeah. still require to be treated as an adult. Yeah. And the respect that goes with that. Um, and our folks, they know that they're adults. Yeah. Uh, they, again, might not understand everything, but they do pick up on condescension. They do pick up on, you're treating me like a child. Yes. And that alone can trigger behavioral issues. Absolutely, they're human, right? That would tick me off. If you, uh, you know, if you tell me what I'm doing, my entire schedule from the morning, moment I wake up mm. to the moment I go to bed, and I have 
no choice in anything, Mm-mm. you're gonna get a behavior out of me. <laughs> so yeah, let's call know, it a behavior. We, uh, you know, we try to educate to provide choices, pick your battle. Some things aren't worth pressing an individual on, giving them that opportunity to say, you know what, I want to have Cheerios for breakfast instead yeah. of Frosted Flakes. Yeah. Uh, but you know, some providers, some families are like, no, this is what we're doing. Mm. We're gonna go ABC, no deviation. And, Firm boundaries that know, might could be adapted. And that individual, they're wanting to go XYZ, mm-hmm. or they might want to go PQW. <laughs> yeah. And Mix it up. Yeah, and and sometimes so it's not always trying to force them into kind of a cookie cutter yeah. experience. Yeah. Well, do you work with providers and families, too, to understand how to be flexible? Yes, that's part of the training that we provide uh, going through educating on the diagnosis of their loved one or the individual that's in services, depending if they're with a family or with a provider, so that they can have a better understanding and knowledge of what they're trying to, you know, work on and the individual who they're working with. Okay. Let me take 10 steps back because I had to write it down because I knew I'd forget. You said basically you do prevention or after the fact. Mm -hmm. Are you ever finding yourself in the middle of a crisis? I have. uh, I'm able to do crisis screenings Uh as well. Okay. So, but we tried to, again, we tried to avoid doing that. If we do have something where I'm in the middle of a full-blown crisis, Mm -hmm. actually I've had three here in already and the turn of the year, oh. uh, which has been fun. Though, you know, having to sort through, uh, pulling and trying to identify resources on the fly Ooh. to mitigate situations. Yeah. Uh, we had an individual whose family member put themselves in a bad situation, and so we were trying to find this individual because all I was given was just a name and a date of birth. And even then, I was given him, he goes by a middle name, mm-hmm. but in our system goes by a first name. Mm-hmm. So it took about 45 minutes to actually identify he was an actual person and not just mm-hmm. the, uh, you know, the delusions of somebody. Yeah. Uh, and then figuring out where he was, locating him, and get, making sure that placement was, you know, was safe. So we were able to sort all that out. But it uh, it was about a week-long process. Wow. When you're in those situations, are you typically working with law enforcement, paramedics, or just families and providers? Families and providers. Okay. Uh, some law enforcement. Uh, yeah. That if they get involved, um, you know, they I have contacts with several people in Longview PD that will call and mm-hmm. say, hey, we got, you know, we got a situation here. Uh, we need some kind of involvement. Yeah. Or I might have to be circling back around to them and saying, you know, hey, uh, working with this individual, some things going on mm-hmm. have been shared that y'all had contact. What was your experience, observations? Yeah. So that way I'm able to get a full picture of what's actually going on. Okay. Do you have a team or is it just you who goes out? And- I had a team. Oh. But she moved to another department. So it's back to just me Dang. again. So sometimes I think I'm difficult to work with <laughs> because I keep getting uh, different partners. Oh, 
It's more of really CIS is a ebb and flow kind of program. Mm -hmm. We have periods where we're slammed, where it's just one after the other after the other. And other times we have lulls where, you know, it's not a full moon. Yeah. People aren't having behaviors. And so it's more doing just community outreach. Yeah. And everybody we've had, I think that kind of, it bouncing back and forth mm -hmm. between the two. If you're not adaptable to that, yeah. or you come from another environment where it's constantly, you know, hey, I have a static caseload. Yeah. I have. I like know. the consistency. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, so and the structure. There's no structure, though, in crisis. No, it's, <laughs> crisis happens when crisis happens. Yeah. So, you know, it does take a rare breed to be able yeah. to, you know, stay focused. Manage, you know. and it sounds like you need to know your community resources as well. I mean, you—I know you have a psych degree, but you sound like a social worker. <laughs> I do a lot of um, social work kind yeah. of approaches. So, so how many positions are open right now for those if Just they one. ever listen? Just one. Just okay. one. Well, yeah, contact Community Health Corps. <laughs> you get to work with Nick. Hopefully, this uh, episode convinces you. But if it's just you, are you recruiting anybody else to help you? Like, what if you have five crises in a day? I just adapt and will, you know, we, I'll have to triage a bit and identify which is the most pressing, mm -hmm. uh, learning how to juggle. Uh, I may, and I've had multiple crises in a day. So comes down to being able to bounce mm -hmm. from one to the other. You kind of also have to be a little ADHD <laughs> to work this position. So I think that benefits me a little bit yeah. because I'm able to multitask in a sense, get somebody going, whether it's a service coordinator, mm -hmm. uh, having them, hey, I need this information. Can you follow up on that? Get back to me. Yeah. Uh, and then while they're doing that, I jump track to you know, the other crisis, identifying what's going on there. Maybe it's getting with the provider or the family saying, hey, I need to set up a meeting. Mm -hmm. What time can we do this? Uh, then talking to law enforcement if they're the ones reaching out to me. Yeah. Or if I'm having to contact the jail because somebody's there. Fortunately, Community Health Corps, we have a lot of other resources and individuals that I'm able to coordinate with mm -hmm. that help, Yeah. you know, with that. And they're able to step in and... I don't want to say quote unquote delegate, yeah. but I'm able to pass some on yeah. so that they can do their part and then get back to me mm -hmm. and I can. Yeah, because you, you can't do going. it all. And, you know, I'm responsible for all nine counties. Oh, my God. So, Nick. all the way to Texarkana, Clarksville, all the way down to Panola and everything in between. So. No wonder you're so calm because you just don't have any energy. <laughs> well, as I've learned, there's no point in getting excited. Uh, because if you're agitated or you're wound up, mm -hmm. especially if you're working with somebody in a crisis, they're going to feed off your energy. Yeah. So it's best just to stay even keeled and just, you know, matter of fact, we're to get through this, we're going to work through it, we'll identify what's going on and try not to Escalated. show much emotion. Yeah. It's it just, you know, want to be as flat affect as possible. Do you think that works all the time, flat effect? I mean, no, sometimes people... sometimes uh, there are people that need some additional emotion yeah. when you're going through. Uh, you know, I'm still going to give empathy yeah. and everything, but, you know, sometimes you do have to emote a little bit yeah. uh, to stress points yeah. across. Uh, 
It's a firmness, which yes. is what you talk about when you do the crisis training with Longview Police Department. Mm -hmm. It's having that authoritative tone, but yeah. at the same time, again, you're not making that person feel like you're a danger to them. A or, danger, yeah. or I'm trying to force you to do something yeah. at that moment that you're not comfortable doing. Yeah. Uh, it's always, again, making them feel like they have a choice because ultimately they do. Yeah. It's their life. Yeah. Uh, we're just trying to provide structure and resources for them to achieve what their goals are. Yeah. We're just along for the ride. Yes. Kind of, I guess you could equate us to the bumper lanes at a bowling alley. <laughs> you know, we just keep you out of the gutter. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good way to look at it. So can you tell me more about the trainings you provide? I know it's not just Longview Police Department, but... With Longview PD, that's the Crisis Intervention Training, mm -hmm. which is part of their accreditation that those officers have to have. Uh, I do a lot of de-escalation mm -hmm. training. That's a big component of what I do for families and providers. Again, I also provide training on diagnostic information, what you see. Yes, the you medications and all of that sort, yeah. Well, not so much medication. I try to stay away from in psychopharmacology, but more of what a diagnosis tends to present and manifest right. so that, you know, they may, the family can recognize, mm -hmm. well, if I have, you know, my loved one acting out in this way, potential reasons for that are, you know, A, B, and C, mm -hmm. that means I probably need to approach them in such a manner so that we don't spiral. Yeah. And also, you know, letting families, especially with autism, know that you meet one person with autism, you, you only met one, one person. person with autism. So yeah. it's not a uh, cookie cutter mm -mm. diagnosis. Mm -mm. Is it something you enjoy doing, going do. and doing that? I mean, it seems like it because you put on a, a good show. <laughs> you know, it, uh, <laughs> I, I like to joke around that uh, I avoid public speaking, but I like the spotlight. Like yeah. I said, I uh, had a retainer that needed to be met for me to be here today. So. Oh, yeah. We uh, uh, we failed him on that one. So, you know, there are going to be some post-negotiations that will need to <laughs> need to occur. I am a broke college student, <laughs> sir. Okay. <laughs> I but. wish I could provide your M&Ms <laughs> and your water. <laughs> do you think um, you'll ever do more crisis training? for? I mean, it seems like when I went, it was really just touching the surface. Like, we could go deeper. We have, well, yes and no. Uh, okay. When it comes to the CIT training, mm -hmm. uh, the TCOL, the Texas Criminal OL, yeah. uh, the acronym <laughs> for that, they've outlined specifically, you know, what mm, information is there. I do try to get with law enforcement to provide more in-depth after the fact. Mm -hmm. uh, so that's, you know, another step that we, you know, do go. Uh, certain officers we've been able to provide a little additional training mm -hmm. for, especially those that have multiple contacts mm -hmm. with our population. Some of them that have beats that include some of our more challenging group homes mm -hmm. uh, in our area, so that that way they have a better understanding when they are uh, interacting with our individuals. You yeah. know what's best practice. Yeah. So that this situation doesn't escalate and things potentially take a, a turn for the worse. Yeah. 
how about schools? Do you go into schools? We or? work with, with schools. Uh, they can be a challenge yeah. uh, getting into uh, some you know, security reasons, especially yeah. with uh, the day and time that we're in. I get yeah, they have a structure. Know, wanting, you know, and it's, it's for safety and protection. Yeah. But at the same time, we do reach out. Uh, I do outreach with our co-ops mm -hmm. uh, that each of the counties have for the smaller school districts because Longview, uh, actually pretty much all of our catchment area would be considered rural. We have some big towns, Longview, Texarkana, mm -hmm. Carthage, you yeah, know, yeah. Marshall, but you know, as we go down, our, you know, our town's getting smaller and smaller. Mm -hmm. So, you know, these smaller school districts are involved with co-ops so that they're able to pool the resources together to, you know, provide services for those individuals that are in the special needs department. Yeah. Okay. What's a misconception or stigma that you've noticed that our community has about that population, the IDD population? Again, that, that they have a mindset of a child and they have to be treated as a child. Yeah. That tends to run and, you know, cause a lot of pushback from our individuals. Yeah. Again, they recognize that they're adults. They may, you know, again, may not process things yeah. at a level above maybe 10 or 12, mm -hmm. But they know, you know, hey, you're talking down to me. Mm -hmm. you know, you're, you're not giving me the respect my age, yeah. you know, says I'm entitled to. Yeah. Uh, some of that as well, work with law enforcement uh, with that because there are consequences for our population. They commit a crime just like we do. Yeah. You know, now they may or may not understand fully what that crime was. Mm -hmm. But there still has to be consequences. Yeah. And if you have somebody, especially if it's a petty crime mm -hmm. and law enforcement just kind of gives them a pass, oh, you know, I can't arrest them because, you know, they have yeah. the mindset of a child. At the same time, they're going to learn, hey, I can get away with this. There yeah. are no consequences for that. That's and a so, hard spot, you know, because mm -hmm. does jail really do anything, you know? And so, and. <sighs> And so that's part of what I do as well is I have a daily jail report that mm -hmm. flags anybody that has had IDD services mm -hmm. uh, at any point in their life and it focuses really on the last five years. If they've been arrested, I get notified of that so I'm reaching out to the jail and it's statewide and the CIS with other LIDAs mm -hmm. uh, like myself, we all run for our catchment areas so then we're contacting the jail. We're asking that those individuals are being moved from general population to a more, more segregated uh, situation. Try to avoid isolation okay. uh, because that can be a detriment as well, especially mm -hmm. with this population. They mm -hmm. do want social interaction. Yeah, we're humans. So yeah. it's more of trying to get them moved to a vulnerable population pod, which usually okay. houses probably between five to seven individuals versus being a general population where there might be 30 to 35 yeah. and it also allows for the jailers to keep a little bit closer eye yeah I didn't know that was an option and so that's one of the things that um, again the state has asked for mm -hmm. CIS throughout the state to do yeah is to reach out to the jails and have them have them moved so and initially it was they wanted everybody moved to isolation. And there was a pushback from the jails and as well as just as you're working through realizing, hey, we're having some more issues with that. Yeah. So 
it's finding that that happy that medium in between. So that's fair. So I know there's not a typical day, but let's just say this week. What do you? How does your day start? So when I get in the morning, first thing I'm doing, I'm running our TLS report, which is our jail report. Mm -hmm. uh, going through that, seeing if we have any exact matches um, or if we have a probable match. You know, so I'm going through the probables. And if we have a name that matches and date of birth matches, then I'm doing my due diligence looking through to see, okay, is this who, you know, we think yeah. it may be? Uh, and if it is, then I start the process of contact service coordinator, family, provider, to, you know, get a little more information what happened, yeah. uh, reaching out to the jail, making sure that the placement options are there, there are there medications there, mm -hmm. you know, are there any other needs that are required at that point. Uh, so I'll address that. If we have no matches, then I'm just going through the day identifying, you know, if there are no crises mm -hmm. going on at that point, it's getting caught up on documentation. Mm -hmm. It's uh, coordinating uh, community outreach, just filling my time <laughs> with, you know, different tasks so that, yeah. um, you know, always trying to be productive. Yeah, absolutely. What barriers do you think get in the way of you providing services, whether that be systemic or whatever? The willingness of those needing services, mm -hmm. willing to accept the services. Why do you think that is? Does Some, it vary? It varies. Uh, sometimes families, providers, um, even schools, they like to be siloed. They like to try to keep everything in-house mm. versus having people come on the outside, yeah. you know, looking in because, well, you might see something and you may report it. Yeah. You know, the fear of that. Uh, some providers, you know, I feel like I get some pushback on mm. training, stuff like that, or getting CIS involvement has fear of I'm some form of regulatory mm. services, and that's not what I do. Yeah. As I tell them, I'm trying to help y'all avoid those you know contact from regulatory yeah. for abuse neglect or exploitation uh, making sure that you know care is provided for the folks that you're agreeing to care for yeah yeah because i bet they see you walk through the door and they're like oh crap and i try not to do a lot <laughs> of uh just pop-ins yeah uh with our providers yeah I usually try to you know reach out and schedule a time to come in mm -hmm. because I want it to be a positive experience, yeah. and sometimes when you show up unannounced, you put people on the back foot. Yeah, it makes them on edge. They're like, uh, oh no, what did I do? They're yeah. rethinking their whole six months. So, and you know, and it may be not even setting up a full appointment, but just, hey, I might pop in this afternoon. Just, yeah. you know, give them a heads up that I could be coming by, mm -hmm. and you know, is there a good time? What's a goal of yours with your program? Do you have any, where would you, if you had a magic wand, what would you change? Not to say community health corps is not great because we know it's great and we provide a lot of great stuff, but. Not so much with the center directly, yeah. but just in general would be more resources for this population. Okay. Especially for our autistic individuals. Okay. Uh, unfortunately, when you look at somebody with an autistic diagnosis with an IQ over 75, mm -hmm. which is a good portion of the autistic population on the uh -huh. spectrum, there really aren't services that are out there because they're not technically deemed fully IDD. Why is they, that? 
because their IQ is too high, that there's a lot of comprehension, mm -hmm. you know, skills that they have versus those who are on the lo lower level, mm -hmm. the states behind mm. on that. Uh, so yeah. that's a population that tends to fall through the cracks with okay. additional supports because there really aren't a lot of resources that are out there that can provide services or targeted for that population. So that would be something that if we could change, yeah. could make happen, yeah. would be addressing that. What kind of resources? specifically do you see are most at need? Just additional forms of maybe counseling, things yeah. that help these individuals kind of understand that they are, you know, perfectly fine members of society yeah. and can do things, but helping them understand what it means to have such a diagnosis, mm. to be able to process some of that and to be able to kind of advocate for themselves okay so uh, because again when you when you deal with a lot of autistic individuals you know they don't always want to express their feelings or they aren't able to yeah they don't know how so you know just providing counseling to help them understand and mm -hmm. also to be able to recognize just education on that end so that they can have better interactions with others in their lives as well. Is there a specialty where psychologists or LCSWs can focus on IDD individuals? Because I've never seen that. I don't believe there's an actual track specific for... Is it needed? It is. Okay. Um, I don't want to be insensitive and think that they need their own concentration if they don't, but I don't know. Well, just additional hours yeah. uh, or you know, education on that. Because the most part, it's just a small block you may get three or four classes on that you know on these diagnoses versus you know mental health that could be a whole semester I know it is or longer yeah <laughs> um, same thing with you know law enforcement you look at not just IDD but mental health mm -hmm. it's a 40-hour block of a I want to say it's a 20-week program Wow. so one week out of that whole the whole training for the academy mm -hmm. is focused on mental, mental health, health and intellectual disabilities. Yeah. Why do you think we don't see as much curriculum on IDD? It's one of those things that just the mindset, the stigma mm -hmm. that the population as a whole has. Fifty years ago, you know, this is a population that you just wanted to ignore. You put them in an institution. Mm -hmm. uh, there was that institution in New York that, you know, Geraldo got his big break on doing the investigatory, oh, yeah. you know, going in. And and, showing how horrible the conditions were. You know, and that's kind of the mindset that we're a society. We just push it away. We don't want to be aware of it. And so we've uh, come a long way, but we still got some still ways to go. Still a long way to go uh, for this population. So we're getting there. Yeah, but how do we get there quicker? <laughs> uh, what do we need to be doing? Like, what should interns what should we be doing it's just is there an answer there's, there's really <laughs> not I mean it it's one of those things it's just it's gonna be organic yeah uh, it's not something that you can really push through and force mm -hmm. an acceleration sometimes I think when we do that we push the pendulum too far and there's yeah. an overreaction to how 
we address things. It's fair. So it, you know, we kind of have to go through that. Some of that is just, you know, reaching out to our legislators, mm -hmm. um, talking with them, advocating for, for you know, services, and then providing resources yeah. uh, at a monetary level at the state for programs to be developed uh, or programs that are there to be kind of fleshed out a little more and provide more opportunities. And I bet there's a ton of coalitions out there too that are doing that, that we could be more involved with. Yeah, I, a big part of this podcast is understanding stigmas and destigmatizing mm -hmm. it, but also learning about our programs and forming that connection. You, you have a big stressful job and I like to ask everybody at the end of the podcast, how they take care of themselves. Self-care is a big, hot topic. It's a big word. I can I can talk talk you through a lot of self-care. Uh, uh, unfortunately, I'm a do as I say, not as I do. Okay. Kind of individual. Mm -hmm. um, I'm the same way. But I really focus on just avoiding stress. No. I've been, I, How's that going? Uh, some days it's great, uh, <laughs> depending on what it is. Uh, I try to hide from it, maybe under my desk, uh, mm. turn the lights out, and you know, just rock myself. Yeah. Uh, saying saw <laughs> over and over again. Yeah. But you know, there there are activities I enjoy doing mm -hmm. outside of the office, uh, interacting with friends. Don't you golf? I do. I play yeah. golf. Again, like I said, I'm mediocre at l above mediocre at a lot of things. Mm -hmm. Not great at one thing. You know, there are different things that I enjoy doing. I've mm -hmm. uh, gotten into uh, ranching here within the last year and a half. Oh, so, Like Yellowstone? Not, <laughs> not that far. Um, we only have 36 head of cattle. Oh, so, wow. That's still a lot. You know, going through. So that's a nice break Escape. in the evening, uh, tending to them and, you know, just not thinking about work. Yeah. Um, when my day's over, that is one thing I think that helps me is... I truly disconnect. Yeah. Um, you know, I just no emails, no calls, no texts. Uh, my work phone goes into the console of my truck okay. and doesn't go in the house with me. Mm -hmm. If there is a significant emergency that does require me, those that need, you know, they know be able to identify, they have personal contact information. Yeah. So if they need to reach me after hours, there are those that can. Yeah. But for the most part, you know, it's just having that boundary of separating work and life. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's important. I'm learning that as well. And so that, that really helps with the stress because I can be stressed from 8 to 5, mm. pulling my hair out. But as soon as 5 o'clock and I close my office door and turn the light off, you know, at that point, I just, you know, I'm not thinking about it. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we'll move on yeah. and then address it again in the morning. So. I have one more question I just thought of. With those in the mental health field, whether that's psychs, social work, family and child development, getting into working with IDD and even crisis, what do you recommend are important skills? I mean, just from what you said, patience, obviously, and adaptability. Patience, adaptability, uh, able to communicate, mm -hmm. uh, being able to adapt your communication skills. Mm -hmm. Uh, and that's not just our verbal, that's, you know, our body, body language, uh, the tone of our voice. Mm -hmm. A lot of uh, folks, you know, struggle with this uh, tone of voice, especially when emotions are yeah. involved. Yeah. Uh, one of the things that I do 
when I'm in, in, interacting with an individual that is worked up, mm -hmm. is yelling, is in a soft, you know, calm voice, you know, I'll say, can you hear my voice? And I may ask them three or four times, can you hear the tone of my voice? Mm -hmm. Before they respond, usually they'll scream, yes, I can. Yeah. Okay. Can you match the tone of my voice? Mm -hmm. And, you know, usually doing that because you're getting their attention off of what's immediately got them upset. Mm -hmm. So they're focused momentarily on something else. And then, you know, if I can, yeah, I can match the tone of voice. Okay, let's continue talking about this, but we're going to stay at this tone. Yeah. Going through three or four times during that interaction. I may have to do that. Yeah. Because, again, the emotions start ramping up mm -hmm. and doing, hey, can you hear the tone of my voice? Can you match the tone of my voice? You know, that, that's a tool as mm -hmm. being able to recognize how to communicate and not only effectively get your point across, but allow that individual to know they're getting their point across as well. Mm -hmm. Okay. I really appreciate you coming on and talking about this. So if anybody, hopefully nobody needs you, you know, right? But if anybody does, they call 988 or? They, if it's an immediate crisis, like I said, it's hit the fan and, you know, all out, of course, they're going to call our crisis line mm -hmm. for that. If they, you know, just, hey, I need some resources or, you know, hey, we have some recurring issues, uh, they can reach me at my office, 903-237-2342. Uh, mm -hmm. uh, they can also email me at nick.wesson at communityhealthcore.com uh, and to go, and go through and just hit me up and let me know, hey, yeah. could, you know, could possibly use some help. We'll talk about it and see if there's something that we can possibly offer. All right. Well, y'all heard it here. Thank you so much, Nick, for coming on. It was on. a pleasure. And I appreciate you. Thank you.